Hi, my name is Wyatt Troy, and I want to welcome you to Behind the Daw, the podcast that was created to help you become the artist that you've always wanted to be. We interview artists and music industry experts on an emotional, philosophical, and artistic level to get inside their heads, gather the best information, and then bring it back to you. By the way, this is a companion podcast to our new YouTube series, In the Daw, where we invite artists to dissect their songs in real time. Also, within every podcast episode, we include a bounced and condensed version of the corresponding YouTube episode. But I highly encourage you to check out the full YouTube version. If you have any artists you would like to see come on the show, or if you have any feedback in general, you can contact me at Wyatt at musicandstuffllc.com. For episode 15, we have Icon Collective's industry advisor, Nick Sherwink. We talk extensively about fear and why it has such an important role in our journey. He also talks about how he's aspiring to become a life coach. And I let him test out his newfound skills on me. Spoiler alert, he helped me clear my mind of fears that I struggled with for the last three years. I just wanna give a huge thanks to Nick, as well as a huge thanks to you for even coming through. And as always, if you enjoy what you learn and you'd love to learn more, go ahead and subscribe and we'll see you back here next week. And if you feel so inclined, we would love for you to leave a rate and review on iTunes. But for now, without further ado, here's Nick Sherwink. I just want to welcome everyone to Behind the Daw, episode 15. This week we have Nick Sherwink. Nick, how you doing, man? I'm doing good, dude. Thanks for having me. Nick is an amazing human being. I saw him every week, but he didn't see me. I was doing the online courses at Icon, and so he was my digital teacher. A couple months ago, we were finally able to meet when I came out to LA, and this guy is literally the epitome of just like a big, buff teddy bear. <laughs> Dude, I'm so happy to have you here and have you as a candidate on here. So first off, I think it's important for me to note that you were on Sam Matla's EDM prod. And so I'm going to try and veer off from the same question. So it's not the same interview and in two different places, more so be like a part two to that. So for those who don't know you, though, let's get a little bit of background information about you, what you do in the industry and who you are, really. Currently, I am the industry advisor for Icon Collective, and I've been working with that amazing group of people for five years where you originally kind of connected with me was through the the music business curriculum that's how i originally got involved with icon as a music business instructor i did that for four years of it it's been about a year since i've been teaching music business and i'll, I'll kind of work backwards from there you know I, I originally met the owners of icon about five years ago i was managing djs full-time dj manager before that i was working at capital records and that's kind of where my career in the music industry began before that i was at, i was at a four-year university i got my my college degree at UC San Diego doing economics. Before that, I was born and raised in Santa Rosa as just a little skateboarding, guitar playing, drummer, rugby player. If you can piece that together backwards, that's the story of my life. <laughs> well, first off, so just from what you've told me, even though it was a condensed version, there's a lot of material, a lot that you've accomplished. I'm assuming that along the way, well, I don't know, you're, you're kind of a hard book to read when it comes to this. I feel like somewhere along the way, did you encounter quite a bit of fear or quite a bit of resistance to get to where you are? It's interesting. Fear and resistance will always be there. You know, to be honest, let's bring it back to when I was 17 years old. When I was 15, 16, 17, and I was in high school, I was an artist. I was a full-blown, I made music for like four or five or six hours every single day. From playing the drums, to playing the guitar, to producing music, I was in a band. I was in the jazz band as a zero period. I was in the, the drum line. And then after school, I was in a metal band. Like I just, music was my life. And I was artist. I am aware of it now on the other side and being much more familiar with the presence of fear and the ego and how it plays a role in my life. But back then when I was a teenager, 
I didn't realize that I was making a fear-based decision when I decided to go to college because really deep in my heart, what I wanted to do was pursue music and I wanted to be a rock star. That was my biggest dream and passion and goal, but there was fear there. It was a subconscious fear. It was this belief that there's no way that that could actually happen. The path to take is to go to college. Would you graduate high school? That was just this sort of template idea that I had been fed and I sort of swallowed that pill and I just believed it. And, you know, school was always very easy for me. I got good grades. Getting into college was easy. Partying for four years and playing rugby was was easy. Actually getting into the music industry for me was pretty easy as well. I just had an epiphany one day and I said, you know what, this is this is what I want to do and I'm going to go for it. And, and there, there actually wasn't really that much fear. Kind of now being more aware of it, tracing it back, the subconscious fear kind of pointed me in a different direction. You know, it kind of veered me off course for a while, I think, by spending those four years going to college and have anything to show for it except for a bunch of debt and a degree that I'm never going to use. I actually think I became dumber when I went to college because I was just like literally drinking like multiple times a week, just partying. And I was just like, I just didn't grow at all. More recently, the fear that I've been more sort of consciously aware of has been pursuing a career as a life coach which is an idea that has been on my mind for a while, for probably as far back as five or six years ago, is when that idea sort of surfaced. I hadn't taken action on it only until just this past year, purely because of fear. Now that I have been taking action on it and moving forward with it, it's like on the other side of that fear is, is just amazing opportunities and just a lot of purpose and passion. That is so interesting. And a little bit down the line, a little bit later in the interview, I want to explore this idea of the life coach. This just came to me. We can try a little experiment. You can be my life coach to see so I can open up and you can help me basically. Let's do it. So before we get to that though, so you mentioned that school was relatively easy for you, getting into the music industry was relatively easy for you. And again, I highly encourage anyone to go listen to your interview that you did with Sam. You talked about how you got into Capitol Records. You met the one of the top dogs there and just walked over and said, hey, I want to work for you. Taking your career as a whole from the moment you got into the music industry till now, what has been the hardest thing for you to do? The hardest thing is finding, really finding where you belong. And you really struggled with that? It's taken me 10 years to, to really, I think, figure it out. At the same time, you have to try things out to really, one, figure out if you like them, and two, figure out if you're good at them. I tried my hand at working at a record label. It never really took off for me. I spent three years working at a major label, and it was, it was awesome. On the one hand, I didn't struggle because it was an amazing job and, a, and an amazing opportunity. And I had a lot of fun. I struggled in the sense of really getting promoted. Coming into it, I was like, oh, I'll I'm going to run this company someday. But the reality is that that wasn't the right position for me. That wasn't where I belong. As much as I tried to force myself into that world, at the end of the day, it's not really aligned with sort of who I am and what my strengths are. From there, I got into management and I managed DJs and, and artists and producers for about four or five years. It was an, an incredible journey. I didn't struggle in the sense that I had any, any trouble, you know, making connections and getting clients and having fun and finding opportunities, you know, I did it. But again, it wasn't the right role for me. And it's taken me this long to really come to where I am now. Icon has helped me really figure that out. It's given me this platform to have some room to grow and to explore myself and really get clear about what am I good at? You know, what what is my sort of, you know, my natural strengths and what am I passionate about and, and where can I really add 
the most value to people's lives. And that's led me to this sort of new role as, as being like a coach. I would say you seem like a very extroverted person. You get along with people well. So I'm, I'm thinking that someone who is maybe on the opposite end of the spectrum, maybe they're more introverted, shy, you know, kind of want to hang, hang out more to themselves. I think that they would look at your situation, your ability to go and meet people and talk to people with, with confidence and with ease. And they see it kind of like as a, like as unfair. But my, my assumption is that in your life, it's a gift that's been given to you. But I feel like in your life, there's been times where it's like, yes, it's true. I have this, but people don't really know what I personally struggle with. And I look at people who don't have what I have and I'm jealous of something that they have. I mean, does that ever happen? Does that ever happen to you? Oh, of, of course. And and I think regardless of whether it's that or whether it is really any other element of personality and characteristics or whatever, we have this voice going on in our own head all the time. Sometimes that voice is positive and it's encouraging. And almost more often, it's really not. And it's very doubtful. Yes, while on the outside, we can appear to have confidence and we can appear to very naturally dialogue with people and, and, and that's fine. But on the inside, you don't ever know what's going on in another person's head. You know, they, they might be filled with, with fear and with doubt regardless of you know, how successful they are. And so we, we're always looking at other people's lives thinking that they have everything or that they're good at certain things or that they're happy or they're fulfilled. But at the end of the day, you, you really don't know what's going on in, in somebody else's head. That's a very, very strong topic of interest for me. You know, I have been able to kind of get into this higher level of the music industry and, and rub elbows with a lot of successful people and a lot of these artists. And at the end of the day, you know, a lot of artists that are out there that play in front of thousands and thousands of people, they're still terrified to play in front of thousands of people. You would never guess that, right? Because that's what they're doing every week. So from the way that you're talking about it, you're very passionate about what you do. And it sounds like you care about not only people in general, but specifically your students that come through, you get very invested in their lives and you care about what they're going through on a, on a deep level. I mean, do you have, without saying, Saying, like any names or anything has there been experiences where students have opened up to you and they're like this is what I'm going through and you're like I feel you man let me help you out with things that you're going through yeah almost every single day that's why I'm there that's why I stay there that part of everything fulfills me you know and that and that's when I started realizing getting getting this vision of really what I wanted to do and getting this vision of sort of what my purpose is was all the way back when I was working at Capitol Records on the outside it's this amazing record label and you're working with these big artists and you you would have these big successes of Katy Perry just hit a number one track. That didn't bring me really any joy in my life, but it would be when one of my coworkers would, would come to me and would confide in me and we would go behind closed doors in an office and have a very serious conversation and they would go from being at a point of despair to being able to say the right thing and help them to see things from a new perspective and, and, and having them shift their entire demeanor and, and grow from that. I realized then that that is what lights me up. And Icon has been an amazing place because yes, on the one hand, on the outside, on the surface, it's like, yes, I understand music business. Yes, I can help with marketing and I can, you know, do certain things for the company. What's really going on and the, and the thing that, that breathes life into me every day are those moments of when you can help somebody get their internal world a little bit more aligned and a little bit more clear and get out of their funk a little yeah. bit, you know? <laughs> Something I found really, really interesting was that counselors, therapists, they have counselors and therapists. I didn't realize that. 
So it's actually encouraged. My father-in-law, he's a therapist, and he he told me, he's like, it's actually encouraged in my profession for us to have therapists because things that people bring to us, sometimes it's extremely traumatic and extremely sad. And sometimes we need an external third party to put our heads on right so that we can put the heads on right of other people. And so I'm wondering that as you're doing this for these students, I mean, does that happen to you too? Do you also have someone that you confide in with to, to kind of put your head back on straight? It's interesting that that you brought that question up. That's something that I kind of need to work on a little bit more is I'll always try to figure things out myself, not necessarily ask for help when I when I need it, or I might just think I'm always okay and I don't need help, but really I do. But yeah, I do, you know, the, the owner, the one of the you know, co-founders and owner of, of Icon, Christopher White, is he's one of the, my sort of mentors and people that can really come in and shift perspective for me. Like you said, as a coach, as I'm doing this, it's, it's almost like rule number one is, is to, to, to be a coach, you have to also have a coach, you know, because I have absolutely no integrity if and and I'm kind of a hypocrite if I'm trying to ask if I'm trying to tell you hey you know you really need a coach in your life coach could really help you you should pay them money but I'm not doing the same thing for my own life so I'm actually at the point now where I'm uh, I've been coaching you know a handful of people for a little while now but and I've been sort of seeking out the right person for myself which I think I have finally found and I'm about to drop like a load of money <laughs> on like hiring this guy, but it's pushing me outside of my comfort zone. And I think it's really going to help me kind of take things to the next level. You said something interesting, which is going outside your comfort zone. And so in my own journey, in my own life, I get getting put outside of my comfort zone and just handling too much mixed up a lot. Cause there's definitely times when it's like, Hey, you need to go outside your comfort zone. You need to grow. But then there's times in your life where it's like, I'm sorry, dude, but this is just too intense. You do not need to move to Compton to get outside of your comfort zone. You know what I mean? That's, that's, that's a little, insane. How have you found to know between the two when it's like, that's just too much. You don't need to do that. And yes, this is going outside your comfort zone. You need to grow. There's almost a paradox there where it's like, we take on so many things Mm -hmm. because we feel that we need to always be checking things off our list. And we always need to have a full plate because that's what makes us feel like, that's what makes us feel like we're living a full life is by having a full schedule. And we actually become comfortable with that. And so in a, in a sort of weird sense, it's almost like dropping everything from your plate and really minimizing it would actually be stepping into your stepping out of your comfort zone. Whoa. Okay. This is resonating with me right now. Oh man, that was good. That was, that was, that was a knowledge bomb, man. (laughs) But I think also, you know, where, where I've been exploring the area that I've been exploring and a lot of conversations I've been having recently, and it's, it's, it's very tied in. It's pretty much the same thing. You know, getting out of your comfort zone is stepping into your fear. We want to get the fear out of our life. But when you sort of change your perspective on that and you start looking at fear is an indicator of where you should go. Fear is basically a compass just saying, Hey, look, if this is, this is something that you're scared of, then it's probably something that you should go into because there's some sort of lesson. There's some sort of reward. There's some sort of magic on the other side of that fear which is really, you know, stepping outside of your comfort zone. It's uncomfortable to step into your fear. I'm really starting to play around with that idea where like, yeah, like when I feel the fear, I'm like, I, I, I really spend some time to look at it and explore it and be like, whoa, like, what is this? What's this pointing at? And if I did exercise my courage to step into that fear and step out of my comfort zone, what would the result be? How would I change as a person if I did that? It's pretty profound when you really do. That's how you grow. Otherwise, we just, if we don't ever do that, we just continue to run around in circles and we stay within our small little safe zone and then we continuously wonder why everybody else is 
succeeding at, at life and we're not. We come up with all these excuses and, and it just becomes a, it's just a cycle. The only way to break through that cycle is to pay attention to, to, to where the fear is pointing you and to go straight into it. What you said there, man, that, that fear is the compass as to where you should go. Holy cow, dude. Like that is amazing. Like that is incredible. I would assume that they're kind of like what I was saying before that like for the most part, as I'm looking back on my life, that yes, if I would have recognized that I was afraid of something and faced it, I would have grown faster, more mature, stronger, so on and so forth. But then there's also times when I was afraid of something and I feel like the fear saved me in a way. Like for example, when I was in high school, I was afraid to do heroin. And I kind of, I, I kind of feel like that's a good thing. Yeah, yeah. No, I mean, there's, there's also, you know, there's certain neighborhoods in LA that I'm scared to, to, to walk down, and probably best that I don't <laughs> at certain times of night, you know, wearing certain colors. Like, yeah, and that's where exploring that relationship with your fear is, because, because mm-hmm. a lot of us, it's being able to differentiate the, the fear. Like, when is, when can you use that fear as a tool? Because usually, what we do is we just shut ourselves off to fear entirely, and it's like fear is bad. So I need to just try to stay away from fear altogether rather than developing an actual relationship with it and and really using it as the powerful tool that it has the potential to be. This is incredible. So correct me if I'm wrong, but what you're saying is that when you are afraid of something, when you do feel that fear, you first and foremost, you should examine it, take that fear and dissect it and figure out why you feel that way. Should you go down that path and try and overcome it? Or is this fear trying to protect you in some way? Like how you were saying in certain neighborhoods, that fear could save your life. Me not doing heroin obviously is a very good thing. Switching gears a little bit. I'm really excited to get to this, this life coaching thing to see, to see what we can get out of this. But first off, there is uh, obviously this very, very horrific tragedy that happened up where you, where you grew up in, in Santa Rosa. From what I just saw you post on Facebook alone uh, was heartbreaking. You know, I, I picture me uh, going through that, my hometown up in flames, and that's horrifying to me. Obviously, it was hard for you, but I mean, what what life lessons have you walked away with from this kind of tragedy? The biggest lesson that that I learned so far, and, and before I before I share that, you know, just to lay a little bit of the the groundwork for it, you know, I fortunately. I grew up on the opposite side of town where that was really hit and that was really devastated. You know, there's a lot of media coverage of these neighborhoods that were completely destroyed, thousands upon thousands of, of people that, that have lost their homes. And it's really sad. And my mom's house and like our, our direct community of like the majority of people that I know in town live on the other side of town. I feel very, very blessed that, you know, nobody within my immediate circle really was hit. But at the same time, yeah, it's like, that's my city. I don't care what side of the tracks you're from. You're still, if you're from Santa Rosa, you're from Santa Rosa. Like we're a very, I think a very proud community, a very strong tight knit community, you know, regardless of, of, of what side of town I went up there this last weekend and was able to spend the majority of my weekend volunteering my, my high school since, since we were on the sort of, you know, um, unaffected side of town, my high school served as a shelter and I believe still is, you know, through this weekend. So we were sort of, we were able to be a safe haven for a lot of other people to come. And basically I, I spent the weekend volunteering and just being of service. And it it wasn't even a question. I was like itching to get up there and just feel like I could help in some way. And the biggest thing that I took away from it was realizing that 
I don't want to be the kind of person that only volunteers when in times of tragedy. I want to make that a regular part of my life. There's no reason that I can't go, you know, every single Sunday down to Skid Row and try to help the thousands of homeless people that that live in that little corner of of my my current home, which is LA. I've lived in LA, uh, you know, for 10 years. And this is this is my home as well. And there's a lot of ways that I could help. So for me, it, it made me sort of reassess just that element of how far am I stretching myself? Where am I really giving and making it really a part of my lifestyle rather than just when everybody else is doing it. I love that because it is noble to want to go and help during a tragedy, but it's a whole nother step when you want to help before the tragedy even happens, or even if you don't know if a tragedy is going to happen. So I applaud you for that. That's amazing, Nick. With Santa Rosa specifically, you know, a lot of the media coverage is now dying away. It's been uh, uh, almost two weeks since the fire started and, you know, they're pretty much contained. And so everybody will kind of look at this as being like, oh, okay, well, it's over. However, something like 20% of that entire city is is destroyed and, and it's definitely not over. It's just the beginning of, of the process of rebuilding, you know, so there still is a lot of work to do. You know, I think it's easy for us to kind of you know, do our do our little part and then say, okay, well, I helped, you know, good luck. It's just a question of, of how much do you really have inside of yourself to give? There's still going to be plenty more ways to get involved and things to help with. So definitely got me thinking about a lot of stuff. Good, dude. That's, that's freaking fantastic. Switching gears again, just a little bit. And then, so I got one more thing before we hop into this life coach. Like I'm really, really, really stoked about the life coach thing, man. Uh, one more thing, going back to Icon really quick. I meant to ask this earlier. So with your time being at Icon, you've been at Icon for the last five years. So for the last five years, you've seen quite a few students come through. Many of them have went on to what they would define as great success. Out of all the students that you've had to avoid names and, you know, to put, you know, anyone on the spotlight or anything, what has some of your favorite students done? And, and what traits did they have to to earn that title. Definitely the majority of the graduates that have, you know, really gone on to achieve a high level of success in terms of fan base and shows and and all of that. I think a lot of them really sort of, they just did something different. They figured out like what their own voice was. And that's such a common, almost cliche thing that producers go through is I really need to find my sound. It's not just like you, you. It's like you just find your sound, and then and then that's it. I don't. I don't know how to how to really articulate it best. It was just like just trusting themselves to go on their own path, you know. Even though maybe there there weren't other people that were doing what they were doing, and and I think it's really just the intention of where it's coming from. It's like a lot of people want to find their own sound because they are they are so attached to becoming successful, right? And so it's like the intention is to outsmart the system. Like if I can find my own sound, then then I'll sound different from everybody else and then I'll be successful. But it's like at the end of the day, you're still attached to this future idea of, of achieving success. And that's not to say that you shouldn't want to achieve success. We all want to achieve success. We all want, you know, you all want to have fans and go on tour and all of that. But there is a subtle difference, I think, when when it really is an authentic exploration of, I think that this sounds cool and I'm having fun doing this and I'm going to just follow this and see where it goes. You know, I feel like a lot of, a lot of the guys that have kind of broken through have just taken that, taken that approach rather than like, oh, I'm going to, intellectually create some some new sound it's like you don't you don't intellectually create the the new stuff it comes from a different place the whole concept of finding your own sound i fear that many people misinterpret that my definition of when someone finds their own sound is yes of course the portion of that it has to do with the actual audible sound that you create whether that's a new type of sound design 
a certain you know like you're you're known for writing in the locrian mode or, or or whatever like you have some type of sound but to me what creates a sound is when you put a part of your soul into the audible part and then that's where your unique sound comes from it's not just the audible things i'm hearing but it's the energy that you take from yourself or as you say you know with creativity from from a different place that you pull out of and you put into it do you agree with that it's almost like saying, you know, trying to find your, your own sound is, is sort of the wrong way to look at it. It's almost like I need to figure out how to put a piece of myself in my music because nobody else will be able to have that ingredient. That's the one ingredient that nobody else has access to. Everybody else has access to all the, all the synths and all the sample packs that you do, but nobody, nobody else can put a piece of you in their music. So what is that? That's a big thing. And, you know, to, to take a step back and, and answer your, your question as well, like outside of the sort of creative aspects of things, I mean, all these guys have found like incredible teams to get behind them. They have incredible managers. They have built incredible brands. They've really mastered using social media and connecting with their fans. It's like these are, these are just essentials. Those are all things that have to be there in order to really kind of get to that level. All, of course, it all starts with the music. You know, it all starts with figuring out that, that thing, you know, that, that, that element of putting yourself into your music and, and just carving out your own lane. And believe me, the, the managers will jump, you know, they'll be, they'll be bidding over you when you figure that out. Something that I learned one time was a, uh, was a phrase and it's called, do you want a house or do you want a home? And so the concept is, is very easy to understand. You know, a home is where you feel comfortable. It's where you feel loved. It's where you feel, you know, it's, it's a home where a house is wood and sheetrock and carpet and kind of a thing. And so I kind of feel like, when artists are trying to find their sound and they're trying to find their place in the music industry, they need to more so focus on creating a home for people. They need to create a space where people can come and they can, I don't know, find a part of themselves in where a lot of the people that we're seeing nowadays, uh, arguably I'm seeing less and less, but still I see it is that they're trying to create a house. They're just trying to have this bare bones place for people to come partake of the music and then head out when you get down to the nitty-gritty of a home the door doesn't matter that much all right just throw a door on there right you don't need to have this big 1000 pound door that's made out of aluminum and you know painted all types of colors and everything and i kind of feel like that's that way with you know relating it to a, to a music career is like you know like the the marketing strategy the uh the branding all that kind of stuff this stuff is extremely important just like having a door is extremely important but what's more important, the relationship you have with the, with the people and the things you make them feel or your marketing strategy? I mean, do you agree? I mean, what's your thoughts on that? I got a little sidetracked with the metaphor of, of the home. So I, my mind kind of went somewhere else as, as you were sort of explaining it. And I mean, what, what I started thinking about is like, what makes a home a home? What is the element that makes us feel like we're at home, right? And, and I would say that it's this unconditional love that makes home. You feel safe there. You feel warm. You feel familiar. And it's like a very like love-based kind of feeling um, as opposed to like a broken home is one that has a lot of fear in it. It's like a lot of turmoil. People are, are creating broken homes for themselves in the sense that they're creating from, you know, subconsciously creating from a place of fear because they're, you know, so many people, they're just, they're so ultimately like worried about becoming successful. And they're so worried about people not accepting their music. So they stay very safe. And the biggest thing that I see is like, creating with this with this pressure of time of like, I need to succeed 
by the time I'm 30 or I need to, I need to become successful within this certain window. And so the energy that you're putting into your music is this very stressed out, feel fearful kind of energy, which, you know, if you have stressed out, fearful energy in your home, that's what results in a broken home. That's what results in parents to be divorced and people to, to fight. So yeah, creating that home, you got to create from that, from that place of like, total comfort and, and just knowing that like everything is cool. Like you can, no matter what, everything is going to be okay. And you have to have that sense of security within yourself to really create the really great music. And I'm sorry if I just pulled that totally off of a tangent, but like that was where my mind went. When- that is exactly what I'm talking about, man. That was, that, that, that was amazing. Thank you for adding that onto it. And I, I couldn't, I couldn't agree more. That was your question. You were saying was, was you were talking about marketing? Yeah. Yeah. Just cause like, you know, like you think about the door of a home, like, yeah, doors are important, you know, like it keeps people out, keeps the, the heat in so on and so forth. Right. But at the end of the day, what actually happens inside the home is more important than the actual door. Uh, and so I kind of feel like that, you know, like with marketing teams and stuff like that, they are important. You need them. And you need to understand them. That's not what the big picture is. Does it, I mean, do you agree with that? What, what's your thoughts on that? To elaborate on your, your metaphor of that, of the door, like that's, it's kind of like saying like a lot of people are just preoccupied with what their house looks like on the outside. Everybody's trying to like get a new paint job on like an old house, you know, and everyone's trying to just like make sure their yard looks really good. And, and, and the only reason you do that is because you're trying to impress your neighbors and everyone is way too preoccupied with trying to impress their neighbors. Everybody is way too preoccupied with what do other people think about what I'm doing rather than if you're inside, like when you're inside your home man, you'd be dancing around, like doing whatever you want. Right. And you have no, you don't care of like, cause nobody can see you. And like, yeah, that's where you want to live. You want to live within that space of I'm creating my art within my own world because this is an extension of myself and this is how I'm expressing myself to the world. And thank you for taking that, that metaphor to the next level. Cause you're absolutely right. And thank you. So now I am so excited to try out this, this life coaching thing. So, so this can help you get some, some new people, you know, if they like what they're hearing and seeing all that kind of stuff, maybe, maybe they'll reach out to you for it and everything. But so how does it work? How do we start? What can, what can I do to, to help you out with it? Explaining a little bit of the, the philosophy of, of life coaching. With therapy, the difference between therapy is that it's very much, you're very much focused on the past. You know, you're very much digging into the past and like what happened in your childhood and how is that affecting you in the present? Whereas life coaching is very future oriented. It's very much like, where do you want to go? right? Let's get very, very clear about what your goals are. Let's get very clear about, you know, where you're trying to end up. Let's get very clear about what the process is. You know, what are the things that you need to do in order to achieve those results? And then let's also really figure out like, who is the type of person that you need to be in order to do those things? A lot of us, we know, we know where we want to go and we, and we kind of almost, we know how to get there, but yet we still find ourselves running circles, you know, like we still find ourselves just not making progress. And it's just like, we have to work on certain elements of our character. There's certain shifts that we have to make within ourselves in order to kind of clear that pathway to move forward. It, it all starts with, you already know everything. I, I don't have the answers. It's not, I'm not a, I'm not going to tell you how to run your life. You already know everything. And it's just, it's just this process of trying to ask the right questions just to get you to focus on the right things and, and just add a little bit of clarity and, and direction. But I think deep, deep down, inside everybody already knows where to go and we also we already know how to get there we already have all the tools inside of us but we're usually so focused thinking about the wrong things we're focusing on the wrong stuff focusing on like what's not going well and we just sort of drive ourselves further into that place sometimes uh, at this point, uh, you said it's more so focused
focused on the future. So do you usually have the person talk about where they want to go or where they want to be? Yeah, you, usually it's like I'll start off with like a, like a preliminary questionnaire just to get an idea. Like let's start off by asking what is, what is going really well in your life right now? I would say right now what's going really, really well in my life is what we are doing right now. Everything that I'm doing with Multiplier, the podcast, the YouTube channel, that is going just phenomenally well, better than I ever thought it would be. Outside of that, I would say what's going really, really well right now is my relationship with my family, with with my wife and my daughter. I'm, I'm having a, an amazing time with them. So I would say out of everything in my life, those two are kind of the biggest things that are going well right now. Okay. And so why is why is this going so well for you right now with like this this element of your career with the podcast and everything? Like, why is it going well? I would say one of the reasons why it's going so well, number one, is because I'm learning so much. I love to learn, uh, whether it's like on the technical side, like what we do on In The Daw, or like more here, like on the emotional side uh, that we do on the podcast. I'm feeling that need to learn and to progress that way. But I also feel like a lot of when you were talking about your relationships and you you helping people along the way, I, I have the same feeling like, you know, a couple of weeks ago, we had uh, Clockwise, Lucas Rose on here, and he was talking about things that he was struggling with. And I gave him some advice. And that, Nick, that was so fulfilling for me, being able to meet these people and and give them a piece of me to help them, which I guess technically isn't even a piece of me. It's just something that resides kind of in my realm that I can push over to them. And it's just so satisfying. I mean, does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. And um, and so why are things going well in your family life? What's going well in my family life right now is that I have a really, really good relationship with my wife. You know, we get along really, really well. We work really, really well together. I'd also say that my relationship with my daughter is amazing. You know, I get home she gets a big old smile on her face and says daddy and like runs up to me and stuff you know it's like i would say overall we have a happy home i i feel comfortable there and i hope that i assume that they feel comfortable there too i mean does that make sense yeah yeah and so what would you say are certain things you know in your life right now that maybe aren't going so well that could be improved upon or some areas of potential growth and, and work. Yeah, man. So I would say that the the thing that kind of keeps me up some nights, I guess you would say, is kind of the, the money right now. And I kind of feel like that fear has always been here. And that fear, depending on, no, well, not depending, I would say regardless of however I make that fear is always going to be there. But it's just like, oh, life would be a lot easier if we had a little bit more money every month or, or something like that. I'm going to say that's the big thing that kind of like keeps me up. Oh, we would be able to afford this for our kids if we had a little bit more or, oh, we would be able to uh, help more people if we had more money to do the such, 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 such. So I'm going to say that's what's in my mind right now. Yeah. And so have you been exploring ways to make more money in your life? I have like yourself. I'm really, really, really into business. And so I'm trying to Personally, without giving too much information away on like what, what I'm trying to do is that I'm, I'm trying to find some ways where it's like, okay, I recognize my strengths. I'm good at X, Y, Z. Okay, how can I bring value to people and in some way monetize that? It's kind of, to be honest, it's kind of a very anxiety provoking conversation I have with myself because I understand that they're fear-based decisions. Like, all right, do I really want to do this? Mm, not really. I'd rather be doing other things to you'd rather be doing other are you saying that that's it's because you're you're scared of doing them or or you're just you don't, you're not passionate about doing mm, i would say that i'm not passionate i'm not necessarily scared it's just that i'm like ah, i just don't enjoy this as much you know what i mean mm -hmm. but you think that they're going to help you make more money yeah yeah exactly 
you said initially that fear that you were experiencing is moving forward around the area of of money like that's something that's been kind of like stressing you out a little bit and like we were talking about earlier it's like when the fear is there then we use that as an indicator to move forward right to move into something you know we know we kind of know like where to go right now right we're like okay if if um if this area of your life is something that and you know i guess it's it's not super specific like money is sort of a broad topic but you know what we'd basically do is like explore you know maybe offline we can do this but like explore more in detail what options you're looking at right now and then you know basically spend some time looking at what other options could be there that you might not have explored yet really with the hopes of finding one that resonates with you on more of a passionate level but also at the same time if there's something there that's like you're scared that that, that there's fear there too then you know as a coach i would be there to kind of like you know push you a little bit and challenge you a little bit to you know maybe go in that fear and explore it further and and um you know have some action items that you would do to you know to 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 further do that the other thing that came to mind as well i can tell that learning is is one of your um sort of core values because you talked about you know you're learning so much with what you're doing right now with all the the podcasts and everything and that lights you up mm-hmm. right so Finance is a whole nother, is a whole world that we have the op- opportunity to learn about, you know? So have you been, have you been like, you know, really diving in and, and picking up books and taking courses and like learning about different finance stuff, you know, investing and building businesses? What kind of learning have you been doing in, in that sense? Have, have you been intentional about, about learning more about that area? That's interesting. I guess to give you an honest answer, no. I, I kind of have. I've kind of been like dancing around the idea. Like I've been wanting to learn more about like marketing and specifically like social media marketing. So I guess that's kind of dancing around the idea, but the actual just like career money portion, no, I've kind of, I've been, I didn't realize this before, but like, yeah, I was actually like, I felt scared to go into that and like really learn more about that because I was afraid of the truth that would be down there without taking up too much time on on the podcast to but like I would I would I would give you like a homework assignment which would be over the course of this next week you know you need to like you know either read some articles about about entrepreneurship and get a book about entrepreneurship you know we would come up with some sort of cool assignment for you what we're trying to do is really spark that passion that you have for learning in this world of of money of making money so that rather than having this fear and this stress about making money when it's like when we don't really know much about it it's like oh kind of scared of it right but you know you you love learning so it's like all you really got to do is apply that same kind of emotional energy into finance and literally look at finance and making money as like just another cool thing for you to learn about another another creative it's really just another creative process you know like you've created this podcast from scratch you can definitely create financial you know income streams from scratch as well but you got to do that learning process first and like have a little bit of fun with it. Whoa, dude, to be honest, like to be absolutely real with you, what we're talking about right now, like this whole concept of finances has haunted me since the day I got married. Like, I don't know what it is, but like the day I got married, it was just like the real stamp just got like smacked on my life. And it was just like, oh my gosh, like I have a family now and I have to, and then obviously now that we have a child and now that we almost have another child literally could show up any day it's kind of like kind of been growing over time and so now i've never thought about it the way that you put it is that i love to learn i have a fear here so i need to take that love for learning and dive into the darkness dive into the fear and go and stare it right in the face and be like it's time it's time to figure this out because 
I don't want it to haunt me anymore. It's that's beautiful. That's really beautiful. It's just like music. You didn't know about making music before you started making music. And like a lot of us, like unless our parents really sat us down and gave us how to make money 101, like most of us never took that class. Most of us are in that same position. We don't really know that much about it. So it's like, you know, it's got to start somewhere. But with focused time and energy, we can we can master anything. You know, there's a science to making money. You know, you just have to figure out the formula and figure out the science to it. That's really cool, though. <laughs> wow, dude. Yeah. That was fantastic. Thank you so much for doing that. Like that. I feel a lot better about life in general now. Uh, uh. The question I was going to ask you is like, what, what resources do you have available to begin this new exciting journey of you know learning more about finance and, and making money? What resources do you have available to you? For sure. So right off the bat, that comes to mind is number one, there's a library down the street and it's a huge library and there's so I'm sure there's tons of business books inside of there that you know whether it's about entrepreneurship or whatever it's obviously it's a library so it's like next to nothing to pay for and so that's one thing that came to my mind number two is that I subscribe to audible so there's a whole nother plethora of books to have in there number three I love podcasts as we know that we're doing this right now and I'm, I'm sure there is a plethora of podcasts that talk about exactly the same thing and then number four that comes to my mind is that my my family, specifically my mother and my uncle, they've had tremendous financial success. To me, that just seems silly that I haven't thought about it before, that they're a huge resource that I could tap into and pick their brains and, and figure stuff out. I mean, how, how, is that a good start? Does that sound like good stuff? That's that's exactly what uh, what I was hoping for, um, especially people, you know, because because like, that was going to be my question is like, if, if you didn't come, you know, it's it really like, who do you know that is doing well financially? Right? Do you have any friends or anybody that's 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 making good money that started the business? Let's go tap into that. Let's go take them out to lunch and go pick their brain and, and start learning. That's great that you know even within your your inner circle, like you already have people that you can turn to. So just those things alone, you know. And again, you know, thinking about like you know how, how much time and energy you just put in over the last year to going through Icon's program of taking you took all these classes on all these different subjects. Like you know, in the last year, you learned a lot. And you know, it, that same way, if you sort of tackle this this world of finance and this world of creating revenue streams for yourself if you if you start to apply that same kind of energy into that world i guarantee you in a year from now you're going to be in a very different situation than you are here dude this is freaking mind-blowing oh my gosh nick Sherwink, like <laughs> thank you so much okay so this is i am not endorsed in any way but nick Sherwink's life coaching is incredible from the last 15 minutes of us doing this this life coaching portion is just wow that was cool i'm glad you i'm glad you brought that up i did not expect us to to this is great for me like i love to kind of practice the coaching skills so and and it's like i'm so fulfilled to to see you you know starting to think about some of these things this is great these are just the seeds being planted and so yeah you know it's like normally from here it's like i'll for my clients, it's like, you know, we do this every week. The the, the session isn't the important part. It, what's important is what you go and do during that week between now and then. The sessions are just, this is just a check-in. Let's further explore some ideas. Let's see if we can bring some more stuff to the surface. But now it's like, you know, I come from a sports background. The coach didn't score the touchdowns. You know what I mean? You you got the ball. You got to do the push-ups. You got to do the drills. You got to put in the work. The coach just is sort of there to yell at you on the sidelines and, and, and tell you the drills to run. So you got you got to really go out there and play the game. Basically, you know, we would catch up again next week and just say, hey, well, how did it go? What kind of progress did you make? And then just continue continue the journey together wow yeah. dude this is this is fantastic for anyone who is interested in in getting life coaching from you i mean how do they get a hold of you how do they set this up because this is incredible 
Yeah. You know, I'm, you know, anybody can reach out, you know, uh, for me, to be honest, like I'm, I'm, I'm taking a sort of, you know, you gotta have the right attitude. I would encourage anybody to reach out for sure. I'm always down to have a conversation, but it, it's really, you know, uh, the, the, what I've realized is actually hard is to, it, it's to take someone who's kind of like in like a bad situation and take them from to good. I really want to find people that are already in a good situation and take them to great. You know what I mean? I really, I'm, I'm really focused on trying to, you know, work with like high performers is, is the goal in the future. You know, I'm not, uh, I, I definitely take a little bit of a hard nose approach. Hit me up on social media, Facebook, Twitter. Nice dude. And then I got one final question for you. The final question that I had for you is, is very similar to what Sam uh, asked you. My version is a little bit different where, you know, let's say that it's come to the end of your life. You're on your deathbed now and you look over and you have your firstborn son there and you want to give your firstborn son some type of knowledge, some type of wisdom, something that you feel would, would help him to, to be successful, to be happy, to, to live the type of life that you feel like he should have or that he deserves. I mean, what, what do you think that piece of advice would be to your son? Well, hopefully if I'm on my deathbed, I've already given that, him hopefully, that advice. Hopefully, you're right. You're absolutely right. <laughs> he's, already, he's already, you know, taken it. <laughs> thinking about being on your deathbed, it's, it just gets me thinking about how short life is in the first place. You know, like that's all, all of us are going to reach that point, right? That's, that's the, one, the one guarantee we all have mm. is that there is a finish line at some point. I think my biggest piece of advice is that while we're here, you know, it sounds very simple, but just like make the most of it, you know, just, just realize that anything is possible. Anything really truly is possible. And it all just begins with having that, you know, having that belief. But I think when you do keep that in your mind that like, yo, the clock is ticking and, and there is, you know, there is this, we're not going to be here forever. So like, let's, you know, let's make the most of it while we're here. Let's live, you know, let's live our life from a perspective of, of love and having fun. I don't know. That's that's a tough one, man. I I could, I could go on for hours with advice. It's hard to just give one one thing. Make the most of it. That's to, what I would say. <laughs> to quickly elaborate on what you said is to make the most of it. So I mean, just out of curiosity, what would be an example of not making the most of it? Would, would you say primarily just living within fear-based decisions, or, or what do you think? Watching Netflix every day. I was gonna bring up Netflix. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, that would be that would be it. Cancel your Netflix account. That's my that's my advice to my son as I'm dying. I know it's kind of a controversial topic, especially amongst creatives. But to me, wasting my life has been extremely contributed to Netflix, video games, not so much in the last 10 years, but partying back clear back in the day. You know what I mean? Just like those three things are like, what, what am I achieving? You know what I mean? Like this doesn't happen. Do you agree with that? I do. It's just there's, it's just distractions. Every, you know, everything are distractions. We use those distractions because it, it can be. It's kind of painful to just face life head on. You know, really be with yourself. We always have to be moving and doing something, and so we have a, a plethora of distractions that we turn to. But I think the more we can learn how to control, you know, to control our distractions rather than being controlled by them will will really change the quality of your of your life in a big way i am completely guilty of it as well it's something i, 
and I always speak of this, and I speak of this passionately because it's something that I'm continuously working on every day. I've been telling myself I'm going to cancel my Netflix account, but I still have it. It just it just renewed the other day, and I'm like, it's just it's just uh, yeah, constant work and growth and chipping away at it one day at a time. This has been incredibly enlightening. This is, you, you, you have helped me, not only as an icon student, but as just a person in general. So my hat is off to you. I'm not gonna take my hat off, but my hat is off to you. Thank you, brother. I, I mean, I, I really appreciate it. I really appreciate you inviting me to be a part of this. You know, I really am proud to like, you know, just watch you really blossoming and growing. And you were an amazing student. Uh, I think you're, you you made, you know, Icon very proud. I hope that your listeners, you know, continue to subscribe and listen because you're just a great example of, of someone that makes things happen. Thank you so much, man. That means that means the world coming from you, man. I, re- I really, really appreciate that. That was rad. I'm really honored that you that you asked me to, to be a part of it. And now, here's this week's podcast version of In the Daw with Vorso. Wait, wait, hold up, hold up, hold up. What is a cephalopod? It is like the overall family for squids, cuttlefish, octopus. Giant squid. Yeah, giant squid. Yeah. I think some there's some pretty obscure stuff as well that, that counts as cephalopods, which is not coming to me right now. Squishy, quite intelligent and quite wonky animals, quite drippy, wet. Nothing super specific, just more, I suppose, kind of how you made the main sounds and stuff. It's like one of my favorite genres, is, I suppose I'd call it wonky beats. That kind of, I suppose that's, that's what noise you've been calling it. I've heard people calling it future beats but i don't yeah. think that's related to future bass i think that's more a hip-hop yeah. thing but i mm-hmm. i don't really know where that comes from but that, that's kind of what i've stuck to just beats in general mm-hmm. yeah mainly about like syncopation and stuff that's like sitting between 160 to you know up to 180 half time that's why i describe this kind of thing as i guess yeah this is this one was this one was a bit of like a departure from uh what i normally do which is like basically like drum and bass but half time this this was definitely more towards being beatsy and I guess a little bit trap inspired you could say yeah that kind of thing 808 sort of how did you rate the first it's, it's kind of really hard to just describe most of the sounds but uh, I like the first what I kind of call the lead sound because it kind of appears quite a lot of, of the way through the track that would be this one yeah yeah that one, yeah, yeah. Um, so in the final version of the project, pretty much everything that's important or CPU intense is just audio. In fact, like when I have a finished tune, basically everything is just audio. So actually in this project, I don't have the original leads in it at all, but I've, I've gone back a couple of versions and I've got this, which is just that synth. I work on a MacBook laptop. Everything is quite slow. And that's, that's part of why I stand down so much. It's that it just can't dealing with like really intense projects or anything. Jerry is blowing up my phone. Take it easy, Jerry. Love you, Jerry. So I've got here a folder with with just everything as it was originally. Maybe four versions in the project back. Pretty much every team that I uh, finish is, goes through 14 versions. I don't know why, but it just seems to settle on that number in general. That's like how many projects it takes to be happy with it. But uh, those just tend to be saving a new project every time I'm like signed off and happy with a certain sound before I bounce it down and like lose the processing on it. So it's like, like those aren't completely different songs each time. So this is the main lead. So you can probably hear that's quite like 
No, that's not really as spacious as it was in the final version, so I've added some processing to it since then. The original version of this sound, if I take off all the processing that I've got in this chain, it sounds like this. <laughs> Which is basically some tiny plate sounds. And when I when I made this, I, I found some sample in my sample library. I tend to just search like because I've got quite a big library of just that I've downloaded off the internet and people like my friends have just given me. So I just tend to search for something and just use something that comes up and then like work with that as uh, to make, you know, like something different or something weird. So in this, I probably just searched the number one and I, I don't actually know what this, where this comes from. This, there you go. It's, uh, that's it. And that's probably from something from like either Nolan or Mr. Bill or I, I don't know. When you say Nolan, you mean frequent, right? Yeah, frequent. Yeah. So um, I, I actually read something interesting the other day, which kind of describes what this hook actually is. And I, I didn't know this at the time. This was about a year. It was, it was like last January that I made this. It's Diana Dutch's uh, speech to song illusion. And what she does basically is she takes a, a little bit of her speaking and she takes a small part of that and repeats it a couple of times and you start hearing that as though it's being sung like a voice sort of singing because you, you start reading a melody or a hook into it yeah so what i was thinking with this is that this sound is the rhythm to it isn't programmed by me i've literally just looped the sounds in sampler and i pitched it about randomly so i don't know if i can freeze this and show you where it's sitting on the grid but it's not actually deliberately playing any rhythm if i just bring that out uh, it's not really sitting anywhere near on the the uh, normal grids and if i take it to the triplets it's kind of it's kind of close but it's not actually doing anything deliberate and i just found by looping that that kind of started feeling more and more like an actual riff so yeah that's where the the original kind of hook for it comes from and i just laid some like beatsy drums underneath basically what you're talking about if we're talking about the same thing you're talking about the experiment that they did when they looped the voice in and and it was in like a like a fifth grade class or something like that okay cool so for those of you who don't know what's what he's talking about so basically human are always trying to find rhythm and basically a riff of some sort and so they take this it's it's some british woman saying something and they loop a very small portion of it and they loop it over and over and over and they played it to like it was like a, like a fifth grade class or something like that and they didn't tell the class what to do or anything they just played it over and over and over and then they paused it and then they asked him it's like can you do you hear the melody do you hear the rhythm and then the entire class sung it back together all at once it, so that's what you're doing here is you're like you're, you're presenting this idea that's technically not i mean I, I guess technically it is rhythmic and technically it is melodic but like you weren't really following any rules you're like i don't know let's just throw crap around if you heard it without any repetition for the first time you might not actually think that's a riff at all but by by repeating it you slowly get this kind of question and answer between the two the, like the first note and the second note like this is kind of like the question then there's something being there's something kind of responding to it and then on on the third like repetition of that 
I did something slightly different. So it's kind of like it, it falls into something that is following some music theory, but it's not actually that intentional. Really quick. So to do like the whole question and answer thing. So this has actually raised a lot of funny questions since the one masterclass came out with Hans Zimmer because in the little preview that they did the little demo that they put out like on YouTube and stuff like that he talks about that oh this is a question this is an answer and so Jerry who's been on here before Jerry DeFilippo I think I said it right this time all right he's been on here before and he was explaining this to me when I was going to Icon so basically when you ask a question your voice raises up you're like how was your day I guess oh, that's kind of a weird question. How are you? You know, I guess that's even a weird question. But you know what I mean? Like, it's still like when you ask a question, your voice goes up at the end. That's how people know it's a question. Because if I didn't do that, I'd be like, how are you? It doesn't really make sense. And then when you answer something, it goes down. I'm doing good. So you could have, how are you? I yeah. am okay. You incorporate that into music and it's a whole different dimension at that point. And so it brings into this whole, this whole new like flavor into call and response. Yeah, like I don't really have any particular music theory training that I stick to. Like particularly when I'm working on stuff with Lucas Clockvice, he always has like a strong melodic sense and he knows a lot of music theory and what he's doing. And he just says stuff to me and I'm like, if this were in the key of C, the note I'm thinking of would be F. And that's like, that's how I work out. So I just do it completely by ear. There is a couple of things that I, I do stick to, which is stuff like, if you were saying something as a sentence in a musical phrase, would it make sense? Would it have like a good emphasis? And if the, the other thing I think about a lot when I'm putting together a riff is if this whole bit of music was being played by a band live, like people playing imaginary instruments that makes that kind of sound. Would it make a good performance? Would it work? Would it look cool? Like, is there enough kind of energy being distributed between the different instruments? Like, in a, if you listen to, I'm, I'm at a loss for a good example because I don't really listen to much acoustic music, but you normally have like a, a drum fill at the end of each couple of bars because that's like the drummer's turn in the part of the band. And then you go back to like, I don't know, keyboard solo or something and that's kind of spreading the activity between all of the members of the band and that's sort of what i try and do with my music is i try and get it like even between all the elements i'm personally a really really really, really big fan of the, the resonator but I, I don't i don't think too many people even know what it does there's a couple of ableton plugins that i use a lot which are like the kind of group of they just change your sound loads and i really like using those particularly resonators is one and that adds really, really short delays to whatever you're playing into it, such that they become actually tonal. If I turn resonator off and on, So you can hear that's, that's, that's making it sound like it's playing one note, and that note is G, which is, I, I think, the root note of the bit of music. I forgot to check because it's been quite a while since I opened this. Um, there's actually, there's there's no reason why I set that to G in particular, because it gets completely mangled later on by the frequency shifter. But that was just to give that sound a bit of tail to it, like because so, it's quite short and choppy like that. When you add that, that's almost doing the same job as like a spring reverb or something, just lengthening that out. There's this OTT by X for records that I, you, you'll never stop hearing good things about. It's I use it in sort of moderation. I don't have it on every track. I have it on a couple of things that, and I have it like sort of like a, a low dry wet. I know I've got it quite a quite high dry wet. <laughs> it's undermining myself. But that is just to kind of, again, that's to bring out that delay a little bit more. So it's, it's a slightly longer sound. The main thing that I use for a lot of really like messed up sounds is the frequency shifter. Normally after a bit of ping pong delay. 
short, short ping pong delay is doing basically the same thing as the resonators, except it's not really tonal, and it's got this little filter inbuilt. So I like using that a lot. So the the frequency shift is where this actually gets the movement from. And uh, if I turn it on, you can hear how that's got the tone. And that doesn't. But I just find the frequency shift is a great way of just absolutely destroying any harmonic relationships you got going on in a sound and making something go from being like normal and understandable to just being straight up weird. That kind of thing. And I, I, that's, that is similar to how I did the pluck in my song Needle. It's, it's with some kind of like, uh, I can't remember, it's, it's a similar chain to this. And it's it just makes it odd. Phaser again, like add some kinds of, I, I think that's only on, yeah, in certain parts to make it slightly more fill-like. Here I wanted that kind of, like, almost like water dripping or something. I've got a corpus, which again, this is another one of those Ableton plugins that is like odds. That's giving it quite, that's giving it sort of more body to the sound. That's giving it more low end content. And then Pro Q2, which is just my EQ of choice. I haven't looked at, an EQ8 in about a year, just because Pro-Q is just feels so nice to use. I love the way it, way it shows everything. I'm going to stop selling FabFilter products to you at some point. But not before I finish with this Pro-MV, which again is just catching that peak there. I, I, I tend to think about um, uh, peaks quite a lot in sounds. I try and flatten stuff so it sits well together. There's a verb on the end of this. That's just standard like Ableton reverb. That's not even, that's only on during the fills. I've got an, this, this I quite like, this uh, Ozone 7 Imager. I literally just use it for monoing lows. I don't really use it for widening because I prefer to use uh, Dimension Expander by Expo Records. That's an exciting one. That's just giving it some more bite, I think, yeah. Uh, that's, that is literally, in this case, it's basically in, in place of just boosting the highs with an EQ. It, it's not going to be distorting anything. That's how I got that slightly different texture in the fill. And that's another thing I do with ping pong delays. I add in a short delay and then a, the dry work will slowly go up towards the end of a phrase. And that kind of puts certain sounds backwards in the mix. It makes them kind of fade out, but it's not quite like they're just producing in volume. It's more like they're just becoming more spacious and less at the forefront. And that, that's basically the whole of that sound. There's some stuff on the whole group, which is basically just like multi-band compression on the highs. Looks like an EQ as well. Not nothing special, just mixed down stuff. This one is quite interesting. This is the, the second hook sound that comes in after that, after the first section. So I got quite inspired by, uh, I don't know if you know Indigo Back, I think he's recently changed his alias, but that's like his sort of wacky sound design. I just wanted, I wanted something here that just doesn't make sense. It's not like melodic, it's barely rhythmic. And I did that with Autopan, getting that kind of just because, uh, again, I just wanted it to be absolutely wonky. Like, and you can't you can't hear it in this project because I've deleted it out of here. But there's there's this one point in between that note and the next one where I've got this like little record scratch kind of sounds. Again, this is like a slightly longer sample. Chimes, jingle bell. I genuinely don't know where that came from because I just searched my hard drive for something that is slightly longer but has the same tonality. And then I whack the same processing chain on it. So without that, 
it's just a, a longer input into the same chain with all of this like bleh, weird phasery on it. Yeah, and I, I did something else here with just the same thing, but much lower. And again, that's that is actually the main hook pitched down. So it's, it's going half as fast and, and therefore that means it's doing half the... Because it's so slow that this looping is actually a rhythmic thing. It's basically playing what would be the same rhythm at half the speed, except that the notes restart, so it re-triggers that loop. So this is kind of like... Not really the same rhythm. But sitting underneath this top one... It's what gives it that extra little bit of pull, and it, it's the two rhythms kind of coinciding that, that, that produces that effect. With creating this kind of like, I guess the word that you guys use is wonky, that doesn't exist in the United States. But uh, <laughs> oh, right. <laughs> what would be a word? Ski wampus? Oh, that's not that's not what that's not something here. We're using the ski wampus kind of stuff. So the question I have is like, how do you go about really finding that nice gentle area between variation and repetition? Because I kind of feel like the tendency with creating these type of sounds and these type of rhythms and everything is to say bag the repetition and just go hardcore variation. I mean, am I wrong or what's your thoughts? It's very easy to do that. I find it's very easy to go from something that is quite understandable to something that is just weird and too weird. And I, I often try and like check if what I'm doing is actually like listenable because I always, I always aim to make like the weirdest thing that I can get away with being played at like a drum and bass set or something. It's odd, but it's, it's still fun to listen to. It's still acceptable. It's not just random noise or that, that sort of thing. And it, it is easy to do that. And I think in an earlier version of this, I would, I did go a bit too far with like strange rhythms and I had to rein it back in, but I probably don't have that version still on me. But yeah, it, I, I find it is just, finding the balance and, and often for me what really makes a difference is if I send it to my friends and they go like nice through you know upscale and a couple of other places I've, I've amassed a couple of like music friends who just will tell me if something is bad and they, they, they don't have any problem doing that and that is like exactly what I need sometimes because you don't want to be you know wasting time making something over the top and going off on a tangent on it if it just doesn't make sense to anyone except you maybe that's your thing how often do you send it to friends that you, that you want to see if it's working out you know until they hate the tune <laughs> basically <laughs> and, and me as well but yeah I, I i tend to send stuff out quite a lot particularly when i make some kind of change that i think is big and like if i've been working on a bit of music for a little while that that can be like oh i've, I've made the snare like one hertz higher or or something does it sound better but i now tend to not work on stuff for very long i, I tend to finish a tune and like sometimes sometimes a day I, I i finished one in eight hours which is a new record for me but like that comes from just i, I guess reusing a lot of sounds as well for me like I, I do tend to save everything out of every project into somewhere and then I've got those those things for like layering up, for changing, basically making into new stuff. But I think that's that is something that I've I've picked up over a little while. It's just like keep everything, just keep it around. No, I mean that, that totally makes sense. I mean like painters mechanics you know as they start out with every little thing that comes in that they have to do they have to go buy a new tool well over time they build up a inventory of tools so they don't have to go buy them so that like they can get the job done faster and plus they learn how to use the tools better so that's exactly what you're doing when you started you didn't have anything but as you start making songs and you're saving patches and you're saving presets and then samples and stuff like that well now you have an arsenal and the arsenal is just going to keep growing so it, it totally makes sense as to why you're getting faster at it like it might it might sound quite obvious to most people that's something you would do but a 
originally I just had this computer and this computer has 128 gigabyte storage and I had none of this like extra storage and stuff like that. So I used to make a tune, I would finish the tune, I'd upload it to SoundCloud and then I'd delete the project and I'd delete the WAV of the tune off my, my sorry, the wave of the tune off my hard disk because I couldn't store it there and it's like, it's now on SoundCloud, it's safe. Yeah, it was, it, it, I'll just basically start as a new producer on each each bit of music. That, that was all I could do really because I didn't have any extra storage. So now the idea of like rendering out, I can do this, I can render out stems from my scenes, I can keep them safe and can, can do new stuff. That was like quite, that made quite a difference to me. That was about two years ago that I, I made that switch and it's, it's changed like a lot of how I work. So on the concept of having backups and everything, Mr. Bill does something really interesting. Like he backups, he backs up everything to like like Dropbox or something so he can have it anywhere in the world. Is is that correct? How does he do that? That is the sort of thing that I think sounds great. I think that sounds like a really good idea. Yeah, I should do that. That would be great if I did, but I'm, I'm making tunes or something like that. Mm. I gotta go and make some food or something. Yeah, I haven't seen how Mr. Bill does it specifically. I suppose it, it works the same with like Google Drive and stuff as well. If, if you just kept all your projects and stuff in your Dropbox or your Google Drive synced folder, then it's kind of clever enough to just keep it up to date the whole time. And what Dropbox is really good at is kind of partly what makes Dropbox Dropbox is how good it is at dealing with synced things. It doesn't really get confused like some uh, sync things do. Certainly most of Apple syncing gets confused at the first sign of any difficulty, whereas like Dropbox somehow kind of figures it all out. I've just started using Splice a little bit as well and that was great. Like I'm working on a collab with uh, Echo and that was really good because we could just chuck the project between us until it stopped working and then suddenly like one day we're like project doesn't work no nope. oh. so we're now sending it between us just like via email and stuff like that but it was great when it was when it was working fine <laughs> it's a little bit scary nothing was lost though how would you normally start a track like this would you start with the what i would call like the most interesting sound or do you always start with the drums or it sort of it depends on what i'm doing Some, sometimes i'll start with the main hook if i'm feeling like just if i really want to get started on a tune i will start with like playing around with some different bases and stuff and try and make a, a lead line or i might be having a sound design session and then think oh that's quite cool i'll, I'll see if i can make that into something but most of the time when i, would, I don't know i've i got home from work or something and i'm a bit sleepy i just want to sit down and layer up some drums i don't want to be going like forcing myself into making a whole tune so i'll start out by making like a kick and a snare and then see if anything sits between them well and if i like it or not but yeah if i'm if i sit down and i'm like i want to make a tune then i'll i'll start with with like a, a hook like this and hope it goes somewhere what is the impact wrench the impact wrench you might recognize this if you heard my bit of music strung out it is literally, it is actually an impact wrench, uh, which is like a hardware tool. And I got that off Freesound, I think, and I used it in Strung Out as like, I love it as a sort of downbeat sound. Yeah, I just love that sound. I don't know why. Uh, it's just like a little... Uh, it layers nicely on, on bases and stuff. So if you if you search impact wrench on Freesound, then you'll find like that and maybe couple of other versions this just like opened up a whole world of sounds for me because like i grew up in in a very like auto mechanic family and so i know what an impact wrench is i've used one since i was a kid and so but now i'm like thinking about it, i'm like why have i never sampled that there's so many cool tools that make cool sounds related to cars i like finding an area where i'm like okay i don't know like factory processes or something i'm gonna find some sounds i'm just gonna whack them into ableton see if i can make something cool out of it and i, I just i just quite like finding that obscure sound 
different sources i've heard some birds and stuff like that so what's the laugh tell me about the laugh that is someone laughing <laughs> i don't i actually don't know where it came from because it's about six months since i put this in but i do i do quite like putting in like people noises into my bits of music and quite subtly sometimes like that's almost not something you can hear <laughs> And it just kind of leads it in a little bit. Going on a slight tangent, but do you consider mono compatibility when you're making this sort of music? So I kind of go through phases of thinking it kind of should do, and then other phases of thinking, who cares? <laughs> if, if, if it sounds cool, it sounds cool. Yeah, it sort of, it, it depends. Like, if I remember to, then yeah, I, I, I do that. In fact, uh, in my remix for Signal of, of Indirect, I actually made a big mistake in that I thought, I'm going to mix this down in mono. And then I left it in mono overnight. And then I worked on it for a whole day. I finished the second drop and I thought, this tune is done. And I'd left it in mono. So I'd mixed the whole thing down with no stereo. So then when I played it in stereo, it sounded sounds like amazing and I think actually that's a good way of doing it because if you listen to something that is like surrounding your head and it sounds nice and then you collapse it down into like a flat plane or something it just doesn't sound as good and it makes it hard to judge it like objectively so almost just not hearing the stereo version in a while helps you kind of make an, an objective decision about what sounds better in mono and like how to get it sounding better because if I take this now and I, I just bring it down to mono you can hear that just doesn't sound very nice. In this one, I, I did have it in mono, and I did sort of have a look at you know how it sounds and stuff like that. I, I put this EQ on the master, which monos the lows, which I never really normally do, just because, I well, I mean, this tune was mastered by a professional mastering engineer anyway, so I, it didn't need to be there, but it was just for sort of reference, see how it sounds when that's, that gets done. So I'm looking at your, uh, your snare bus right there, that snare group you got going on. I noticed quite a few different things going on. Let's talk about the elements that you have in there and how you decided where to put what basically so I've, I've bounced out the snare here so it sounds like this i was actually inspired by the kind of snares that lucas clockbice uses and he sent me a couple so i decided to try layering them up see if i could get something cool again i don't know where this is from because i just searched for snare i think that's actually quite a cool way of working if you search like your library for a sound and you don't know where it's come from then you're you're more likely to kind of use it indifferently or like if you if you know oh here's a snare from your favorite ever producer or something you might be likely not to try and change it because you think oh they know what they're doing whereas like if you just don't know where it comes from you kind of think about it more unbiased i guess so i frequency shifted it down just so it sits let's see where it's sitting it's about an f or a g f sharp maybe so it's kind of in tune with the song i've got another layer here which is twang snare which is a clock vice classic which i've turned up to be a lot higher that's originally quite a bit lower so it, it's just a bit of like spray a bit of ring to the snare so those two together it's just the same thing with a bit more kind of noise i've added in two claps here just to give it just to give it that kind of beatsy feel that it has in the first drop so it doesn't lose that and the last layer is this which is a a resampling of an entire start of a tune that I made where I put together like a drum loop and this is just sort of absolutely destroyed noise which has been all kind of like you can hear it's got this gritty uh, texture to the end of it and then on that is a quite standard snare processing chain for me I've got saturator I like distorting snares a little bit particularly when it, they're high pitched so that's like 
almost impossible to hear the difference, but it's it's there. I, I like Transient Master, and this um, I, I use it normally to add attack, but in this case, I've done the opposite of that. I've added some sustain. So it's got that kind of like more spray to it. A uh, bit of pro -L. Again, I won't talk too much about Fab Filter because I'll go off on a tangent about how much I love Fab Filter. There we go, there's a bit more attack. I like Transient Master a lot for, for snares. I, I don't know why, but I, like when I do compression on, on drums, like with Pro-C, I tend to get a more kind of flat and smooth sound, whereas Transient Master really bashes that transient out. Like It's almost a bit kind of ham-handed, like it really goes for it. And then that, when it's uh, limited on the master, sounds good. Just a bit more like EQing. And Valhalla Room, I like a lot for space. Just adding a tiny bit. So that's that's the whole snare. So this this tune, if I just talk about the second drop a little bit, this this tune took me longer than I would normally spend on a tune. And at that time, this was quite a while ago. I finished this first drop, and I've sort of got this idea for this the second drop with this major bass sound. Like I had this idea in my head, and I thought there is just no way that I am good enough and a, a producer to make this idea actually happen. And I just by chance, just by messing around around with Reactor Razor. I came across this, so I made this sound. And that was like exactly what was in my head. That is probably the only time I've ever had that in my life, of just having an idea for a sound and then there it is like sitting in front of you. And even just the way it comes in here with a bit of like delay before it, so it's quite subtle. Like that was, I, like, I've never had that before and I probably won't again, but that was like just what the idea was in my head. Um, so for the build-up, I kind of wanted to keep it like this build-up, in my opinion, kind of holds its cards to its chest a little bit because if you were at a live gig and you heard that kind of major bass, you might not know what's actually going to happen in this rock at all. That's why I didn't do like loads of risers and you know EDM snares and stuff. <laughs> What's your piano tink? Ah, this was fun. This is a note from a uh, contact piano. I think it's the giant. Uh, it's, it's like the giant piano by Contact, and I, I like that for sort of cinematic stuff, but I don't still have the patch, but what I did there was I filtered it using Isotope Iris, because there was, again, there was like this kind of slightly major harmonic sound that I wanted to get out of it, and yeah, if you see the way it goes down there, that's me taking that into Iris and just drawing a line down the spectrum, saying like, these are the harmonics I want over this time. Produce that kind of sound. Yeah, Iris is lots of fun. I don't use it enough, to be honest. So I should experiment a bit more with it. Yeah, I love it for that kind of thing. I did a, another tune where I had a pad that was all like crisscrossed with Iris stuff in it. Yeah, it, it makes some strange sort of sounds. What would you say is the most difficult part of this track? Well, yeah, so I suppose, yeah, what, what did you find most difficult when making it? What I found most difficult was actually making the second drop happen and not going, I can't do this. I'm just going to make like something that's a flip on the first drop. It was actually just saying like, I've got this idea. I'm not going to let it go. I'm going to actually put this into the tune. And it was convincing myself to do that because I was, I guess I was a bit less of a sort of brave producer than, than how I am now, I guess. Like now I tend to just sort of go into it and if it doesn't work, I'll just start again. Whereas back then I was like, oh, this might make me not like the tune anymore or something. Let's say that Tom went back in time 
with with younger Tommy Tom and was like, hey, let's make this song together, but I'm going to tell you some things not to do, or I'm going to tell you some things to do that'll make this thing easier. What would you tell yourself? That, that is quite a, quite a good question. I, I if I was if I was doing this tune again, I'd probably like I, I'd probably go for that second drop. I'd just have done it straight away without having that phase of like, do I should I try this or not? It's really loud that beeping. <laughs> it's really close to the microphone. Actually, oh, I don't know if there's anything I would do differently in a tune that I've I've made in the past because like everything that I do I've done wrong. Like I'm glad that I did wrong because I've learned from it. Even if I wasted like hours of my time, I'd, I'd rather that than doing it, doing it now. So yeah, if, if I if I was doing this tune now, I would I'd probably spend some more time doing some different like sound design, some more maybe some more like weird elements for the breakdown but I'd, I'd rather have made like the mistakes of not wanting to do that second drop and learn from it than, than telling myself not to do that quite a few people have said that so basically because the answer is hey for me going through and making the, these mistakes I've actually have been able to learn a lot basically even if it like the certain things don't apply to this project I actually learned a lot that I could apply to other projects right that's what you're saying yeah I think a lot of a lot of making music is actually making mistakes and like learning from them as, as sort of cheesy as it is to say that but like the hook from this tune itself was a mistake it came about just from messing around with a session and I think sometimes going like going wrong or going down the wrong path while making something and potentially Essentially, like losing a bit of time can teach you even more than just finishing the tune effortlessly. How much do you think about what you might call like fan expectations when you're producing? At the moment, I make music literally entirely for myself. I don't play gigs yet. I've got my first gig coming up quite soon, so I don't awesome. think about live stuff that much. So, uh, and this is basically just a hobby at the moment. So, I just make the stuff that I I want to and like what I'm enjoying at the moment. And yeah, I do. I do make stuff for like my friends to listen to, and you know, stuff that I, I like the idea of people listening to my stuff and going nice. But I do. I do primarily just make music because I enjoy doing it, and I don't know what I would do otherwise. <laughs> <laughs> and I think. I think that's partially how I started getting into all this sort of really weird sound design stuff. It's, it's just because like I like doing it and I like making putting something into a tune that makes people confused and makes them go like, what is that sound? Why is that there? So that is part of what I enjoy doing. That's pretty cool, dude. Yeah. I like making music that makes people laugh as well. Like making a slight comedic element to it. That's so cool. Because I think a lot of people take this stuff so seriously. A lot of people are like, all right, I've got my black and white logo and sort of grayed out press shot and now I am completely serious about this this music and it kind of it does detract from it sometimes for me like it can be done really well but sometimes for me I'm like it is just music yeah would you like our feedback on your song I'd love your feedback on my song I would be very interested and this is from this is from like about six months ago so I'd be interested to hear if like I've since then I found out any of the stuff you'd say myself, I guess. I think it was in the Ozone Exciter module you brought up. Do you know about the oversampling button? Um, I I do that always in my Fab Filter stuff. I always have oversampling because I have a friend who's very good at music technology kind of stuff who has a massive go at me if I make mistakes <laughs> like that. But I'm not very familiar with the Isotope Ozone interfaces, so no, I didn't actually know there was an oversampling button. As I say, it's like almost negligible the difference it makes, but I always kind of feel like whenever there's a higher quality button, I should click it. And then the 
the other thing is it's more of a, an idea that I've been playing around with myself. So I've, I've been making quite a lot of like feedback loops in Ableton just to make the sort of like weirder noises that people don't normally think about trying to make. And an idea I thought about right at the beginning of this call um, is kind of incorporating a frequency shifter in the feedback loop because I think it could, it could sound cool, but I've never actually tried doing it. That would sound interesting. Yeah, I think that could be a cool, cool way to make sounds. So I, I don't think many people use feedback loops, so it's kind of like a way to make things that most people wouldn't really think about making. I have like a sort of love-hate relationship with feedback in that I will have a cool session and I'll come up with something nice and then I'll hit like some slight difference and suddenly I'll blast my eardrums in with like a hundred <laughs> decibels of sound. Uh, or I've, I've got like the perfect pad sound out of it and then it won't have recorded. I'll go off like angry. <laughs> but yeah, that incorporating a frequency shifter into that, I bet that would sound really weird. Um, I can't wait to yeah. try that. <laughs> then my feedback for you is actually along the same lines as, as Adam because like, because this is such a ski wampus song. You know, there's I like that word. It's going to be, I'm going to put that as my tags on SoundCloud now. <laughs> yeah, because there's not really, you know, like anything I can say you did wrong because this is definitely like, I know in music, nothing's really wrong, but specifically in this type of music, nothing is wrong. I guess my only feedback that I'd had for you to try is so I sent this over to AU5 and Fractal and they loved it. But what it is, is it's a custom. What what I love to do is I love to, I love to bring Ableton to its knees, man. Like sound designing wise, like, oh dude, like, so anyways, I made this custom instrument rack of 50 simple delays. They all have the same knobs mapped or, or mapped to a, to an instrument rack to it, to macro. And it's, it's the time. So there, so the two delays aren't linked so it's the time to one of the delays and then the other one is the feedback and then so i have 50 simple delays followed by one ott you gotta have some restraint you know what i mean after and that's the average mastering chain then uh, <laughs> that does sound amazing though that does my gosh it's just like you know if you had a transformer portal and you, you just could like throw something in and have it throw something back out like a guitar or like, you know what I mean? Like, or like a flute and have something come back at you that's like, wow, what is this, you know? Resonators on steroids. Exactly. Yeah. Try it, it's freaking amazing. With that being said as well, on another sound design thing that I wanna talk about, I don't understand this and no one can explain it to me. So as you know, cause you're friends with Nolan, with Frequent, he loves the granulator and he's talked about it before on the channel, throws his, own, his old tunes in and makes something out of it. And it's really, really awesome. Someone, my brain can't, process this someone took flume's something song and made it 800 times slower have you seen that no i haven't okay so for those who are watching this you're on youtube make a new tab type in flume 800 times slower or something like that anyways so he takes one of his songs and i guess it's not the same as the granulator making it slower, I guess it's something else because it doesn't sound grainy. It actually sounds like really, really beautiful. Like it takes a four minute songs and makes it 20 minutes. And it's like really like, you ever listen to Enya? No, I haven't. Actually. Okay, so Enya's like this really like, I don't know if she's Irish. I think she's Irish. Like this Irish girl and she's like really like, ambient and like really happy basically it takes anything stretches it out doesn't make it sound greeny but makes it sound like really really beautiful like really really beautiful like if you could like sit there and watch the creation of the earth that would be the soundtrack it's really amazing so i don't know the software go look at the video if you look at the video you can find the software in there but 
it's incredible dude i feel like you would have a lot of fun with it uh, i can imagine that i at the moment i just going back to the million like delays i tried something like that using this plugin called acoustics which is probably going to crash my computer if i load and it's got this little button or this this knob that you can turn that basically phase spreads every harmonic out a little bit and if you I made a, a rack of about, I think it was 20 or so of them. What you can do is you can play like a note and have a filter go down or something. You can watch all the harmonics crawling down following it. And it, it sounds so odd, like some weird spectral stuff. Yeah, the, the idea of like taking a plugin and copying it loads of times is quite, I, I would like to try that if my computer was a bit beefy. Other than that dude, freaking dope song, Tom. Thank you. Oh, just just before we finish, I did have one more thing that I thought um, might be useful to say. I had this song mastered by Fixed Mastering, who did the mastering for the whole compilation, and they are incredibly good. They're, they're very nice and they're very helpful. And he taught me a technique that helped me out a lot. So I, I initially mixed this down on headphones, and he was listening on this proper system, like a really good system. And the thing that he picked out was that everything was quite spiky. Like if I take this pre-master here, like this is a good version. So this is quite solid compared to how it was before. There was a big like dip. Oh, the, the dynamics were crazy. Yeah, low RMS sort of thing, I guess. But what he showed me was in FabFilter Saturn, my last FabFilter pitch for the day, is if you turn all the drive off and you just have it on one of these modes like warm tape where it's not going to be doing any distortion and you turn up this dynamics knob to be a bit higher, I'm not completely clear on what it does. It is definitely compressing it, but it also seems to handle all of the threshold stuff, all of like all the compression settings for you. And it's done, I think, dynamically off what you're putting into it. And it just makes it a bit like louder, a bit more compressed, but it's just much less effort than actually using a compressor for it. And you don't need to worry about doing some strange settings that like completely change what you're doing because it's very subtle. But I don't know if I can play you the difference and you can hear it, it's like, like it's it's slightly louder but it's also just subtly like more compressed but yeah that's that's a very small technique but i found it really helpful i use it quite a lot now it's not completely clear to me what it does and i, I like to think of it as slightly better than like one knob compression but that's basically what it is it just seems to me to do a job that would take you longer to do with a proper compressor but just quite like, quite easily, quite nicely, and it, the result is much better than anything else that I've, I've seen for doing the same thing. So, good shortcuts. It's quite quick. Yeah, I, I hope that helps out if, the, if you're into yeah. that. <laughs>